Welcome to Active Shooter, the podcast. After decades now of mass shootings, mass Mass shootings, mass shootings, we haven't found the answer. A tribute to the victims of two mass shootings. A tribute to the victims of two mass shootings. Thank you for listening to Active Shooter, the podcast. You are listening to Active Shooter a podcast that may contain adult themes, explicit language, and graphic depictions of violence. Portions of this show may be traumatic for those under 18. Listener discretion is advised. We are hearing reports of a possible shooting at a church in Sutherland Springs, Texas. This is outside of San Antonio, Texas. The Wilson County Sheriff's Office told the Wilson County News that there are multiple people wounded and multiple deaths. The shooter has reportedly been taken down. One witness on the ground told CBS News she saw people being airlifted near the site of the First Baptist Church. The Connolly Memorial Medical Center confirmed they have received multiple victims related to the shooting. On the morning of November 5th, 2017, a man in his mid-twenties asked his wife to make him a light breakfast. Something she thought was unusual, as he usually liked a hearty meal. After breakfast, he kissed his five-month-old daughter and his two-year-old son, and told them he would be right back. He walked out of his home, quietly leaving the children in their cribs, and his wife tied to their bed using rope, handcuffs, and tape. He was going to the First Baptist Church, located in a small town called Sutherland Springs. His plan? To carry out a deadly attack because of an ongoing feud with his mother-in-law, who would frequent the Little White Church. He wanted to get even. If you've listened to our prior episodes, you know that the Active Shooter podcast team has taken the No Notoriety Pledge, and we will not be sharing the real name of the shooters that we cover. We will be giving the shooters a pseudonym, and refer to them by that name throughout the episode. This will help in clearing up any confusion in the story, while remaining true to our pledge in not naming the shooter by their actual name. In today's episode, we will be referring to the shooter as... Jeff. While we don't know the specifics behind the feud Jeff was having with his mother-in-law, family members said that it was just something silly that Jeff became obsessed with and wouldn't let go. First... Jeff drove his pearl-white Ford Explorer SUV to the gas station across the street from the church before making his way to the church parking lot and putting the SUV in park close to the front of the church and got out of his vehicle. He was wearing black tactical gear, a ballistic vest, and a black face mask with a white skull on it. There were two men in front of the church who didn't even have a chance to greet Jeff before he fired his AR-556 Ruger rifle at the men, killing them instantly. He fired a a few magazines outside the church, um, what we would consider the front of the church first. And I I took my first injury from, from those initial bursts. He went to the side of the church and I can't verify this, but I was told there was five empty magazines of 30-round magazines where he sprayed rounds into the side of the church. Then he came in. Without skipping a beat, Jeff continued to walk inside and entered a side door of the church and immediately started shooting his rifle while screaming profanities and yelling that everyone was going to die. He walked up and down the aisle of the small church 
pulling the trigger without even thinking, changing his empty magazines for full ones. Each magazine held 30 rounds. After he thought he killed everyone inside the church, Jeff left the church and started walking towards his vehicle. While the shooting was happening inside the church, retired National Rifle Association, or NRA, firearms instructor Stephen Williford heard the gunshots as his house was next door to the church. Stephen grabbed his rifle, loaded it, and ran out of the house toward the church, completely barefoot. He saw Jeff walking towards his vehicle. Stephen was able to crouch down behind a truck and fire three shots at Jeff, injuring him. Jeff took off for his SUV and jumped in, squealing his tires away from the church. And I said, oh my God, somebody's shooting. I ran to my safe, where I keep my gun. I grabbed a, a rifle out of the gun, uh, gun safe. My daughter ran out the door and actually got in her car and drove to the corner. And when she saw a man in black tactical gear, she came running back in and said, Dad, there's someone at the church in black tactical gear shooting up the church. I didn't have any time because I kept hearing the shots one after another, very rapid shots, just pop, pop, pop. And I knew every one of those shots represented someone, that it was aimed at someone, that they weren't just random shots more than likely. I grabbed a handful of ammunition and started loading my magazine. Uh, I ran outside. I didn't even take time to put my shoes on. And I ran across the street looking for it. And when I... I came into the neighbor's yard. His, his Dodge pickup truck was sitting right there. And I noticed an SUV, a gray SUV, sitting across from the church, or in front of the church, across the street from, from my neighbor's house, with the driver's side door open in the middle of the street. And I didn't know it at the time, but the engine was running. And I'm trying to survey the situation, not knowing what's going on. And then I saw a man in a black tactical helmet with a sun, with a dark shaded helmet on. And, uh, obviously looked to me like it, it was bulletproof vest. And he had a pistol in his hand and we exchanged gunfire. Stephen knew he couldn't let Jeff get away. He saw a car stopped at a nearby intersection, so Stephen ran over to the vehicle, jumped into the passenger seat, and told the driver to follow the Ford Explorer. The chase lasted somewhere between five and seven minutes. They drove at speeds up to 95 miles per hour into the neighboring county called Guadalupe. During the chase, Jeff called his wife and parents to apologize to them for what he had just done. Jeff then lost control of his vehicle, crossed a ditch, and landed on the opposite side of the road. He knew that he was in trouble, and that he would more than likely bleed out from his injuries. That is when he decided to put the gun to his head, just above his right ear, and pull the trigger. The bullet wound killed him instantly. 
I had parked at the intersection where I had seen uh, the shooter come out from the church and a gentleman, the neighbor of the church, had come out yielding a rifle and the two men started exchanging gunfire. Um, from there, uh, from there, the shooter jumped in his vehicle where he had the door open and the engine running ready to go and and fled the scene. At that time, the, the neighbor with the rifle came to my truck and he just he opened my door and said he just shot up the church and and got in and he said he said chase him and so that's what I did I just chased him I was doing around 90 95 going down 539 northbound while I was on the phone with dispatch trying to lead them to where he was or the direction he was going because it seemed everybody had headed up to the church and I'm not sure if anybody really realized that he had left and gone that direction so. After the first 911 call was made, around 11.20 a.m., the police arrived at the crime scene. The Texas Rangers led the investigation into the shooting at the First Baptist Church. Jeff fired about 700 rounds in just 11 minutes. Upon further investigation, it was discovered that Jeff made a post on Facebook the morning of the shooting. It simply stated, I'm a wreck. It was also discovered that he had traces of a tranquilizer, marijuana, and other prescription drugs in his system. Well, the service started like always, you know, nice, friendly, everybody shaking hands, hugging each other, the kids running around, hiding under the tables and stuff, you know, but uh, it was pretty regular Sunday like always. And that's when the, the shots started. The man says, everybody get down there shooting at us from the roof. And somebody was on top of the roof shooting down, trying to kill everybody in the church. Everybody was screaming and running, trying to hide. We were watching where the shots were being fired. You could feel them. You could see them on the floor, too, because it was, you know, it was, you could see the carpet and, the, and smell the, the, the smoke from the shots. All of a sudden, it stops. You know, nothing no more. It was real quiet. I don't know what the man did that was up there. He did something, but here come the shots again firing. I crawled over here to the other side because all the shots were almost like in the same place, you know. I had a whole bunch of blood on me, and I thought it was from the other people, and it was actually me bleeding. That's when I felt the warm, the warmth of the arm that I had been shot. I remember just covering my eyes and, uh, you know, not wanting to hear and praying and, you know, asking the Lord to stop all of this that was going on and, you know, not wishing for no other people to be shot, you know, and asking why. And uh, when then all of a sudden everything stopped again. I was looking towards the door. I could see towards my right hand. I saw some black boots come in. I thought it was a policeman. And, uh, you know, I said, uh, oh, my gosh, now, the police are arriving. But it was the same man that was doing the shooting. I stayed there very, very quiet. And he was going around shooting everybody in there that was left, you know, that he hadn't shot, including all the children. So he was just going around and shooting until he ran out of the ammunition. He ran out. He uh, let the, the guns fall on, on the floor. And he ran out. But at that time, everyone is waiting for us to hear the sirens, something. 
anything, you know, anybody saying we're here, we're going to save you, don't worry, nothing. Nobody was there. Nobody came. At that point, I knew I had survived. I had survived the accident. I didn't know about anybody else, but I knew I had. So I thanked the Lord for that. And, you know, it was, I don't know, you know, if I'm ever going to be able to get over, get over, you know, what I saw. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for me. And uh, I don't know. It's just, it was a happy church. And now it's not going to be the same, you know. I'm going to see the same people. But my hope is that this town, you know, just nothing like this ever happens again and everything is going to be fine. We'll be right back after these short messages. What made Jeff snap? Why did he take the lives of so many people that were in a place of worship? A place that should have been a safe haven for everyone inside. You may be surprised to know that his attack wasn't motivated by racism or religion, but by a family dispute. There were 20 people injured, and 26 people were killed in the Sutherland Springs shooting. 10 women, 7 men, 7 girls, 1 boy, and 1 unborn baby boy. 23 people died inside the church. 2 died outside the church and one died in the hospital. Due to time constraints, we will not be able to cover every victim that lost their lives that day. Annabelle Pomeroy was a beautiful 14-year-old girl who was taken from this earth much too soon. She was known as Belle to her friends and family. Her father, Frank Pomeroy, was the First Baptist Church's pastor, and neither him nor his wife, Sherry, were present the day Belle lost her life. Belle absolutely loved her church family and looked forward to worshiping at each and every service. She would even beg her parents to let her sit in the front row. Belle was adopted when she was a young baby, and she will never be forgotten by her beloved parents. My wife put together something this morning on, the inter- on, on her Facebook page that I thought eloquently grabbed exactly what we were thinking. We have, uh, we've had a long night with our Children and grandbabies that we have left. She's going to share this with you. Frank and I want to say thank you to all the outpouring of love for our family, from family, friends, and complete strangers. News media have been bombarding us with requests to share and comment and appear to celebrate Annabelle's life. However, as much tragedy as that entails for our family, we don't want to overshadow the other lives lost yesterday. We lost more than Belle yesterday. And one thing that gives me a sliver of encouragement is the fact that Belle was surrounded yesterday by her church family that she loved fiercely and vice versa. Our church was not comprised of members or parishioners. We were a very close family. We ate together, we laughed together, we cried together, and we worshiped together. Now most of our church family is gone. Our building is probably beyond repair. And the few of us that are left behind lost tragically yesterday. As senseless as this tragedy was, our sweet Belle would not have been able to deal with losing so much family 
yesterday. Please don't forget Sutherland Springs. I don't understand, but I know my God does. And that's where I'll leave that. The Holcomb family lost eight family members that day. An associate pastor, 60-year-old Brian Holcomb, was one of the two members that were killed outside of the church. He was on his way to lead the church in prayer before his life was tragically taken. 58-year-old Carla Holcomb, Brian's wife, was killed inside the church while she waited for her husband to come inside. Mark Daniel Holcomb, who everyone called Danny, was 36 years old when he was killed along with his 17-month-old daughter, Noah Grace. Crystal and John Holcomb attended church with their entire family. Crystal was a widower before she married John, and she had four children from her previous marriage, while John and Crystal had a child together, with another on the way. Crystal was four months pregnant when she was shot and killed. Her unborn child lost his life as well. Three of the five children lost their lives, nine-year-old Megan Hill, 11-year-old Emily Hill, and 13-year-old Greg Hill. John survived as well as two of their five children, although John was injured when he was grazed by shrapnel. John's father, Joe, lost children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren on that horrendous day. Shawnee and Robert Corrigan were high school sweethearts that were originally from Harrison, Michigan, and they were both 51 years old. Robert, or Bob, Bobby to his friends, and Shawnee had been married for over 30 years and loved each other just as much as the day they were married as the day they were taken from this world. While in high school, Bob was a track star and graduated as valid Victorian of his class. After graduation, he joined the Air Force, where he served for 29 years. Shawnee followed Bob as he moved around the country to different Air Force bases. The couple had three handsome boys that they showered with unconditional love. Less than one year before Shawnee and Bob's death, Pastor Frank Pomeroy presided over their son's funeral after he tragically committed suicide. Their other two sons are both active-duty military. A few years before the attack, Bob decided to retire from the Air Force. He was a chief master sergeant and the superintendent at the hospital located on the Air Force base. Shawnee and Bob were also very gifted musically. Bob wrote his own songs and played guitar while Shawnee had, what some say, the voice of an angel. Keith Allen Braden was a 62-year-old man who also enjoyed attending the church, especially with his wife Debbie. Keith worked in the dairy department of a local grocery store and previously served for the Army National Guard. His older brother Bruce said Keith was always joking around and loved children. Keith and Debbie raised three children who are now all adults and have children of their own. Debbie and their six-year-old granddaughter were both injured in the shooting and both have undergone many different surgeries. Debbie was shot a total of three times while their granddaughter was shot in the hip. Sutherland Springs, Texas, is a very small town. In 2017, it had a population of only 600 people. The town was founded in the mid-1800s by a man named Dr. John Sutherland Jr., who was a pioneer citizen. He set up a post office and a stagecoach shop in 1851. Due to the natural springs, it quickly became a resort-style town. In 1910, a hotel opened called Hotel Sutherland. 
The hotel had 52 rooms, a swimming pool, and a bathhouse which were all fed by the local springs. The hotel was a resort that catered especially to the wealthy. The town was quite isolated and could only be accessed by train. In 1913, the Chibolo River flooded, causing a lot of damage to the small town. Some of the businesses there never did recover from the damage. The hotel closed its doors for good in 1923. Sutherland Springs is located on U.S. Highway 54 and, as of 2016, has two churches, a general store, a community center, a post office, and a history museum. As previously mentioned, This attack at the First Baptist Church wasn't motivated by racism or religion, but shockingly, by an ongoing family dispute. While we don't know the exact specifics of this feud, we do know that Jeff and his mother-in-law did not get along, nor see eye to eye. Born on February 12, 1991, Jeff grew up in New Braunfels, Texas, and graduated from New Braunfels High School in 2009 with 393 other students. He had a long disciplinary history at school, complete with seven suspensions. Some of the things he was suspended over were falsifying records, insubordination, profanity, and a drug-related offense. The students that he grew up with would later say that Jeff was an outcast in school, but wouldn't classify him as a loner since he did hang out with other outcasts. He started getting picked on when he was younger, so he decided to sign up for martial arts to help protect himself from bullies. After graduation, Jeff decided to enlist in the Air Force. He served in logistics at the Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico from 2009 to 2014. On January 5, 2019, he officially entered active military service. He went to basic training at the Joint Base in San Antonio, Lackland, Texas. Much like his school history, Jeff's Air Force discipline history was also quite lengthy. He racked up numerous minor infractions, as well as a couple major infractions. Jeff began dating his first wife in February of 2011, and they got married on April 12, 2011. On February 21, 2012, Jeff walked into a mental health center. He was upset that his wife left him and he was having suicidal thoughts. The doctors gave him some medication and sent him on his way. Just one day later, on February 22nd, 2012, Jeff returned to the mental health center because he was feeling suicidal again. The doctors decided he needed to be admitted, and he was placed into inpatient treatment from February 23rd, 2012 until March 8th, 2012. He was diagnosed with adjustment disorder and depressed mood. A few months later, in June 2012, Jeff was back at inpatient treatment. At one point, while he was still in the mental health center, he escaped from the center and was caught 10 miles away at a bus station. He was brought back to the center where he stayed for several more weeks. In June of 2011, his wife reported that Jeff assaulted her by grabbing her throat, choking her, throwing her up against the wall, slapping her, kicking her, and dragging her through the house. He also assaulted his stepson and fractured the toddler's skull. Jeff wasn't charged with the assault on his wife and stepson until October of 2012, and he was officially convicted of the assault on November 7, 2012. Between the time that the assault occurred 
and the time of the conviction, Jeff's wife filed for divorce, which was finalized on October 17, 2012. After the assault, Jeff was charged with four different crimes, six counts in all. He was charged with the assault on his wife, aggravated assault on his stepson, two counts of pointing a loaded gun at his wife, and two counts of pointing an unloaded gun at his wife. He pled guilty to the assaults on his wife and his stepson, and the weapons charges being dismissed. Jeff was sentenced to 12 months of confinement, and his rank was dropped to Airman Basic. Then he was discharged from the Air Force because of the assault charges, and, as a result, he should have been forbidden from purchasing any sort of firearms. Unfortunately, the Air Force failed to register this conviction, so when a background search was performed on Jeff when he purchased the firearms, his criminal history check came back as clear. He was dismissed from the Air Force in 2014 with a bad conduct charge. After leaving the Air Force, Jeff moved back to New Braunfels with his parents. He lived on their property in a converted barn. On April 4, 2014, Jeff married his second wife. Not long after their wedding, the newlyweds moved to Colorado Springs in Colorado. While in Colorado Springs, Jeff was charged with animal cruelty. He was suspected of beating his malnourished husky. He was given a deferred sentence, where he had to pay restitution, as well as fines and costs. He was sentenced to serve 18 months of probation. In March of 2016, the charge was dismissed because Jeff paid his restitution, fines, and costs, and successfully completed his probation. Jeff and his wife only lived in Colorado for a short time, until they decided to move back to New Braunfels. The two of them moved back into the converted barn on his parents' property. Jeff worked odd jobs here and there. At one point, he lied about his background and received a job with the Texas Department of Public Safety as a security officer. He worked as a security guard at the Summit Vacation and RV Resort in New Braunfels. Guests at the park would later comment on how creepy Jeff was and how he always seemed to be angry. After working at the RV park, Jeff took a job at the Schlitterbahn Water Park and Resort, but he was fired less than six weeks after accepting the job. His mom's an angel, and his dad was very caring. I mean, they did everything that they could to give him a good life, and they offered to take him, pay for him to go to school, and he chose to go in the Air Force. Oh, yeah, most definitely. He just had no regard for anybody else except for himself. Jeff and his second wife welcomed a child in 2015, and their second child in 2017. The feud between his mother-in-law, which was his second wife's mother, continued throughout their entire relationship. He threatened her if he thought she was interfering with his life, and forbade her from visiting the hospital where her own grandchildren were born. For a short time, only about a month, Jeff attended the First Baptist Church with his wife and her family. Not long after attending the church, he started preaching about atheism on social media, and he laughed during church sermons. While on social media, he told people they were stupid if they believed in God. The thought behind the attack was that Jeff's wife grew up in the First Baptist Church, and everyone she and her mother loved would be there. He was determined to take the lives of anyone, and everyone, that meant something to his wife and her mother. Fortunately, Jeff's mother-in-law was not at the church on the day of the attack, or she definitely would have lost her life. The suspect's mother-in-law attended this church. Uh, we know that he had made threatening uh, 
Uh, she had reset threatening texts from him. To say that the Air Force dropped the ball would be an understatement. It was reported that the Air Force failed to follow protocol six different times when it came to Jeff and his cases. He should have never been able to pass a background check, which allowed him to purchase the firearms. In 2018, the family of one of the victims filed a lawsuit against the Air Force for negligence. An administrative error, that's what investigators say, allowed the shooter to legally purchase weapons. The Air Force failing to follow a Pentagon rule that says the FBI should have been notified of a domestic assault charge on his record. It's been over two years since the Sutherland Springs shooting, and investigators are still unable to unlock Jeff's phone, which could hold many more answers as to why the attack took place. This has been an ongoing dispute between the FBI and law enforcement, and the phone companies, especially Apple. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Active Shooter, the podcast. Make sure to also check us out on social media. We have a newly formed discussion group on Facebook. Just search for Active Shooter, the podcast discussion group. You can also find us on Instagram at Active the Podcast and Twitter at Podcast Active. For just $1 a month, you can get access to ad-free episodes, early release episodes, and a shout-out on the show. Just go to www.patreon.com forward slash active the podcast. Thank you, and be safe.